first of all, thank you for having me. It's awesome to be here. Um, and I, I just want to dive in uh, into this night and give you a little background, uh, specifically around what we're talking about and background as to who I am. Um, so between 2015 and 2016, I woke up in a stupor. Uh, here I was, a devoted Christian, uh, wrestling with the festering racial tension in America. And daily people are asking me for my thoughts and my insight in a time where I didn't even quite know how to respond. Uh, a little bit about me, I, I was born to a young mother who grew up during the civil rights era. Uh, she taught me the ecosystem I was to survive in being a black man in America. She encouraged the reading of black authors and biographies from Malcolm X to W.E.B. Du Bois. I grew up on the Cosby Show and Martin and the Fresh Prince. I was... <laughs> Fresh Prince gets claps, that's good. Uh, I was steeped in black culture from birth. I played ball with guys named Alandric and I dated girls named Keisha and Kiana. And the plight and the struggle of minorities in America was something that I was very, very familiar with. I went to college. I was confronted with my faith, or lack thereof, and in the second semester, I became a follower of Jesus. Now, as a Christian, I wanted to learn everything I could. I just wanted to absorb everything I could about this faith. I wanted to know church history. I wanted to know theology, and most of what was accessible to me was primarily that of white evangelical authors. Now, I didn't care, I just wanted to grow. So I would walk into a Christian bookstore and maybe find one or two authors of color, but it didn't bother me because I never considered there was much nuance to the issues of race or justice when trying to hear God's perspective. I believed if people just trusted Jesus, all would be right in the world. Drug problem, pray it away. Poverty. Trust Jesus for a job. Racist people, just pray for them and move on. And for years, I lived with this kind of mindset. But now, I began to wonder what my faith had to say about the multiple killings of black people by police that was constantly televised. What did my faith have to say about this idea of systemic injustice in society? If so, who even addresses that sin? Did, did my faith have anything to say about the riots in Ferguson? Could it respond to the ideas of ta Coates? Did it offer more than just prayer for the unrest at Standing Rock? Could it actively speak into the immigration in this country? Was my Christianity a help or a hindrance to racial justice? Well, that depends. What do we mean when we say racial justice? What do we mean when we say Christianity? We have to determine, are these things mutually exclusive? Are they complementary? Are they inclusive of one another? Racial justice is defined as fair and equal treatment for all people despite their race or ethnicity. And I think most of us would sign off on that. We say, yes, that's a noble and that's a decent agenda. And there'll always be extremists, of course, who will viscerally hate people because of their ethnicity and their racism and their injustice is obvious. But what about an entire society that has set some up to easier access for education or wealth or health or power? 
I run a label. I run a label with a good friend of mine. He's a white guy, tall white guy. And early on, we needed legal advice. And he, he said, let's, let's begin a search. And so I started to search the internet to find a good attorney. And he began to search his contacts to find a good attorney. We needed money. We were struggling at first. And he picked up the phone and called his dad. And I called on the Lord. <laughs> he regularly meets with friends of his, white friends of his, who are successful business owners. I'm trying to help black friends of mine get their businesses off the ground. We noticed this pattern when he invited me to an entrepreneur's gathering at a country club. And I was the only person of color because none of the other members had friends outside of their race. Now, does your Christianity tell me to simply embrace it? Because, hey, heaven awaits, bro, to be better then. If you see disproportionate numbers of incarcerated black and brown people, does your Christianity tell you all they need is the gospel? <laughs> if most of the modern world, dark-skinned people are living in poor and destitute conditions is giving them food and water and the gospel. The only answer. If so, not only is your Christianity a hindrance to racial justice, it is in fact not a complete Christianity at all. See, many mainland evangelicals would consider evangelism, which is preaching the gospel, and discipleship, which is training Jesus' followers as the heartbeat of Christianity. These are both vital commands given by Jesus himself in Matthew 28. Tell people about the power of God and teach them to observe his commands. Unfortunately, they read into this commission by Jesus that this is the only thing that matters. Or that every good and charitable act that does not lead to an evangelistic opportunity is in fact worthless. When we recount or recall the biblical story of the prophet Jonah, we remember a man called by God to go to the city of Nineveh and call out against it because the evil had come before God. And Jonah, after a lot of persuasion, <laughs> eventually tells them, God's going to overthrow you. Now, the people there believed God and they fasted and they discontinued their evil. And though they believed Jonah, there's no indication whatsoever that they began to follow the God of the Bible. No mention of them forsaking their idols in worship of their gods. And many commenters write that because of this, Jonah's mission was actually unsuccessful. Why? Because they didn't become followers of God. Well, as a, as a Christian, I, I don't think it was God's intention for sending Jonah for their conversion. You see, Nineveh was a part of an Assyrian empire which was known for their cruel and inhumane injustices against other people groups. It created a toxic environment of oppression, a cycle of pain, hurt, retaliation, and hatred. And the Bible shows us Jonah calling out these particulars. We do not see evidence of him being sent to convert these people to follow God. 
Now, of course, the Bible does not support social and societal change to bring people into a saving relationship with God. And in fact, tells us in Hebrews 9.22, without the sacrificial atoning work of Christ, there is no forgiveness of sins. Yet, we see God showing favor and mercy toward a nation for their societal reforms and refrain from injustice. Well, what I see is an indictment. What an indictment to the actual people who do follow God. How can it be that the tyrannical and oppressive non-believers see the error of their overt and systemic injustice while the modern grace-oriented Christians stand by and let injustice live? Unfortunately, many of the Christians who speak loudly about the power of God for salvation do not speak loudly about the justice and oppression. The righteousness of God and the justice of God are not mutually exclusive. They are two peas in the same pod. Amos 5.24 says, let the justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never falling stream. You, you simply cannot have authentic Christianity without seeing it as a proponent for all justice. And within that is racial justice. The Bible is riddled with examples of this. Jesus, for instance, tells a parable to a Jewish lawyer about a good Samaritan. The, the lawyer asks, what must I do to gain eternal life? And after dialogue, it's agreed. One must love the Lord your God with all your heart, strength, mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. But when the lawyer asks, who's my neighbor? Jesus tells him about a Samaritan. And if you know the history of Jews and Samaritans, there are two ethnic groups that despised each other. And the Jewish lawyer is confronted with his own racial bias when he learns that he's got to be a neighbor to his sworn ethnic enemy. The same Bible calls for its followers to welcome foreigners, to give cheerfully, to relinquish rights and property for the sake of others, and to see them as better than ourselves. Those are hard to do. But it also calls for the tearing down of systems that oppose God. And racial caste systems which support racial injustice are in direct conflict with the teachings of Jesus. Yet we don't see much mainline Christianity addressing it. And why is that? Well, there's lots of answers and we would be here all day and I don't have all day. But let me give you a couple reasons. One. Historically, most of the scholarly writings available or highlighted by around the practices of Christianity were written by educated white men. Now, this does not go to say that their writings are illegitimate, but it does mean their writings only give us a limited scope of the Bible. Without the perspectives of people of color, including women, poor and oppressed, we get an incomplete perspective on Christian practice. Another reason is that while it is easy to address the symptoms of racial injustice, it's very hard to address the root, let alone see it. See, if one is privileged to never experience racial injustice, it's easier to believe it doesn't occur or frequently or occur at all. And while you may notice that most black and brown people live in the hood, you may even go so far as to volunteer over the summer and help out there. You never think about how or why that is. There's a concept called the consequence of authority. Adam 
being an authoritative figure in the Bible, having control of the garden, has left the world in disarray because of his refusal to obey God's commands. And our fallen world will be a consequence of his authority. And now imagine an owner of a house in Los Angeles who leaves for Japan and returns 20 years later. By now the lawn is overgrown. There's creatures definitely living inside of it. There's pipes and heating and structural damage all from neglect. And it's not just his immediate action of leaving that needs to be addressed. No, it's the effect of his initial absence on the house all the years later. This is not unlike slavery or Jim Crow or racism in America. What happened years ago has profect, have profound effects on today. So the Bible challenges its followers in John 13, 34 to love one another as I have loved you. Such a standard would mean to go through great lengths for the sake of others. And Jesus is willing to put aside his rights for others. People in positions of power tend to look for qualifiers before making these types of sacrifices. How often have we debated about giving our $2 to a homeless person because we want to make sure he doesn't waste the money? As if they needed to be qualified to receive our love, we were never qualified to receive God's. We are, however, qualified to love people by making sure racial justice is put into effect. Racial justice is central to Christianity. The problem is Christianity has been looked at from separate perspectives. Imagine this ancient faith as a cross. All right, I want you to see it as a cross. The vertical beam is preoccupied with God's holiness and our relationship with him. The horizontal one is how God would use our relationships with one another. See, you can't have a complete cross without both beams. There would be no civil rights movement without the church. Martin Luther King was able to appeal to the evil of his day with biblical foundations. So if there's no God, well then how do we measure the standard of justice? That's another philosophical question for another day. But today, remember something if you remember nothing else. We need to believe in a cross-shaped gospel, one that addresses the personhood of God and one that addresses the personhood of one another. God is love and justice is love correcting that which revolts against love. Thank you.